go, hey, we need to raise the budget by 3x yeah. to get to this BHAG that you talked about. And they go, yeah. <laughs> no, no, that's not <laughs> happening. <laughs> Hello and welcome to episode 87 of Rockstar CMO FM. The M is the marketing and the F is the well you decide. As you're probably wondering, does the world need another effing marketing podcast? I'm your host, Ian Truscott, and this weekly podcast serves as my excuse to chat with marketing friends old and new that I've met through my career as a marketing leader and trusted advisor, and hopefully share with you some marketing street knowledge that my guests and I have picked up along the way that will help you become Rockstar CMO. Come say hello, we are Rockstar CMO on Twitter and LinkedIn. This episode was recorded on Friday the 5th of November. Thank you for joining us and I hope you've had a good week and you are well, safe and staying as sane as you feel you need to be. This week Jeff is away so I play a solo. I catch up with Eric Fulweiler and learn about the new consultancy he's just launched and I wind down for the weekend with my friend Robert Rose, Chief Troublemaker at the Content Advisory in the Rockstar CMO Virtual Bar. Right, let's get started, shall we? With Jeff away, I get to play a solo before we welcome our guest. This week, I'm thinking about the audience we are creating content for and we are marketing to. The true fans, our community, subscribers, lurkers, followers, and the weird. And who is important? As a marketer, you're no doubt familiar with Kevin Kelly's idea of a thousand true fans, which he shared in an essay in 2008. The premise being that if you have a thousand true fans, you have a business. If you can earn a hundred dollars profit from each of them a year, you'll make a decent living. I must admit, I knew the idea, but not the details until I researched this. So I'll include a link to the whole essay in the show notes. I've also been rereading Seth Godin's short book, We Are All Weird, which talks about finding the niche we serve and that there is no mainstream. There is only niches, an idea that he also talks about in his book, Tribes. If you start any content project, the world will tell you to find your niche and serve that tribe, to discover your true fans and lean in and be relevant. As a marketer, you're not building an audience or a contact list, but a community. As this is Rockstar CMO, the analogy of these true fans are the people that always buy your tickets first. Sit in the front row and sing along word perfectly to all your tunes. I was recently interviewed for a marketing operations podcast, What's Mops Got to Do With It? by Simon Daniels and Carla Wentworth. They know their niche, their community, and are serving them, the marketing operations community. If you're interested, I'll include a link to it in the show notes. Or Joe Polizzi, who was doing something really interesting and much bigger for content entrepreneurs at The Tilt that is seriously down with the core kiss with its own cryptocurrency and a Discord server. Both are building a community focused on a niche over a mainstream marketing audience because, as someone once said, does the world need another effing marketing podcast? Plus, a community is easy to measure. These folks put their hands up and are easy to count. As we've shared on this show many times, we are driven by measurement. But I was thinking about the others, the lurkers, the scrollers, the followers, the subscribers that never comment or like or click on a link on your newsletter or leave a review. They are still quietly aware of your brand, your work and what you do. As a creator, you might be discouraged if people aren't raising their hands. How many blogs and podcasts do we see that are started and abandoned that are probably abandoning this quiet audience? Thinking about my own behavior, whether it's B2C or B2B, there are very few things I would consider myself to be a true fan of or to clarify. I'm a fan of. They just might not know it. 
There are many, many more things I'm aware of, content that I consume, podcasts I listen to, services or people I might recommend who have no idea I'm in their tribe compared to those that do, especially as I'm slightly introverted online. I have podcasts that are part of my life that if, if that's if we're not there on a specific day for my walk at lunchtime, my day would be poorer. For example, today it's Friday, and that means it's this old marketing with Robert Rose and Joe Polizzi. Okay, so that one I talk about a lot. I've liked and reviewed it. But do I faff about in the Apple podcast app to find the like, review or rate buttons for all the podcasts I regularly listen to? I'm afraid I don't. Recently, in a discussion about a new job that came from my network, the chat referred to liking the work I do here at Rockstar CMO. But did I know? Had they ever liked anything, commented, subscribed or shared what I do? No. However, what I was doing was relevant to them, maybe just in the periphery of their attention, waiting to be activated at the relevant moment when there was a need. Yes, I agree with the goal of creating a community through content marketing, but we should recognize that we might have latent true fans and serve them too. With privacy, the fight between big tech changes with Apple, GDPR and stricter cookie policies, that means we need to create pop-ups that gate our websites and the wall of noise that is now social. We're moving to a world where more of our audience is unknown. And we need to get comfortable with that. It's old school advertising. And of course, at this point, I'm obliged to quote John Wanamaker or Lord Lederhum. Sing with me now. Half my advertising spend is wasted. The trouble is, I don't know which half. I asked at the beginning who's important. Maybe it's the quiet ones we have to watch. And on that note, as I have the keys to the Rockstar CMO penthouse record box, I've chosen Bjork. Oh, so quiet from 1995. It's old. So quiet, shh, shh, it's oh so still, shh, shh, you're all alone, shh, shh, and so peaceful until you Love that track from Bjork. I'll include a link to that on Spotify and all the other things I referred to in the show notes. And if you want to say hello or have any thoughts on what I just shared, give me a shout on email. I'm ian at rockstarcmo.com. On to my guest this week, Eric Fulweiler is the former CMO and Chief Commercial Officer at 11FS. Prior to that, Eric spent 10 years in digital advertising agencies and was the European Managing Director for Vayner Media. He is a frequent industry speaker and contributor on modern day marketing, brand strategy and digital media. Eric has also worked on and advised numerous startups in the US and UK and has a background in nonprofit work. We last caught up with Eric on episode 30. Delighted to catch up with him again and discover what he's up to now as he launches his new marketing innovation consultancy. Hope you enjoy this conversation. Welcome back, Eric, to Rockstar CMO FM. How are you? I am great. Thank you so much for having me back. It's good to see you. Yeah, no, it's good to see you too. And I know that you've not been well, and I'm glad that you were able to recover in time to do our recording today. So thank yeah, you very much. Getting better. Luckily, all I have to do is uh, stand here and talk a little bit. So I'll be <laughs> fine. 
<laughs> well, uh, for regular listeners, well, very regular listeners who have been around since episode 30 will remember you um, when I last spoke to you. But for those list- those new listeners, tell us a little bit about your background. Yeah, sure. So um, the last time we chatted, I was CMO of 11FS, which is a fintech consultancy and product business based here in London. Uh, Before that, I spent 10 years in the advertising agency world, originally in the US, but then what moved me to London was to open the London office for VaynerMedia, which is one of the bigger independent digital advertising agencies. A lot of people know of Vayner or certainly their founder and CEO, Gary Vaynerchuk. Exactly. and, uh, you know, he's, I spent seven years working for him. So he's definitely had the biggest impact on me as a marketer and as a professional and now as an entrepreneur, but I did have entrepreneurial tendencies. I like to say before that. So mm-hmm. I was involved in startups between Boston, where I'm from New York and San Francisco for a few years before I got into the agency world. And I actually right. started my career in nonprofit. So I did a nice. year. Um, yeah. in the nonprofit world before I got into all this business and marketing stuff. <laughs> and, yeah, and it's a fascinating career. And I'd encourage people to have a look at where you've been in LinkedIn. And I'm sure that m- probably the listeners would like me to to dig into what it's like to work with Gary V. But I think we covered some of that when we spoke last time. So I'll refer people to the previous episode. Yep. But you've had you've had quite a year. And re- you've, um, you've recently created your own consultancy, uh, Rival, which I think is a great name my wife um, came up with it so credit goes to her. <laughs> <laughs> but, and you described your company as a marketing innovation consultancy tell us a bit about what you're doing now and what, what that's all about yeah to be honest i don't even know if the term marketing innovation consultancy exists but i wanted it to be clear to people that we are about i think growth comes from innovation fundamentally mm-hmm. and it's not just marketing innovation it's really marketing and product innovation my background is marketing my skill set and the skill set of the team i'm building is marketing so i think we can help with clients on that front but i think you need to be pushing yourself to go forward you need to be challenging yourself be your own rival if you will if you're going to grow and so that's why i wanted to work the word innovation into it but fundamentally what we do is we work with businesses to help them develop strategies and capabilities to grow faster it's really that simple so depending on the business or the stage of the business or the industry that they're in the setup that they have those blockers or contingencies for growth could be different things. It could be an understanding of the audience. It could be a positioning of the brand. It could be how content needs to be developed and distributed. It could be a whole host of different things. Um, But what I'm trying to do is, you know, I've got 15 years of experience doing this type of thing, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but more importantly, I've got 15 years of meeting some fantastic and incredibly smart people. So I'm Mm -hmm. trying to pull together the best people that I've worked with um, and try to go solve problems for clients to help them grow faster. Right, right. That's uh, that, that's really interesting, and it sounds like the beginning part of that is is a bit of diagnosis, isn't it, and to figure out what those blockers to growth are by the sounds of things. Yeah, yeah, and that's you know the type of work that we do. A lot of it is strategy work, brand strategy, go to market strategy, cultural or organizational design strategy is a big piece mm-hmm. of it as well. And we do have something we do that is just an assessment coming in and saying, you know, we built this rival score against our rival marketing framework to help a client understand what's working and what's not working with their current marketing function. But even if we are just doing the strategy work or some of the training, we have to get an understanding of the client's business, the current operations, and most importantly, the team and the talent and the culture they have internally. Because in my experience, 
you know, the best strategy and the best technology is only as good as the people executing it. Mm-hmm. And so I think culture and capability are the real foundations for change. And yeah. so I wanted to make sure that with Rival, I'm taking not just what I know and our team knows about marketing, but also what we know about consulting, what yeah. works and what doesn't. And a big area of opportunity there, I think, is to really focus on the people side of things. Yeah, um, that's really interesting because so many um, agencies were focused on campaigns or we're focusing on the technology or we're focusing on process. But it's really interesting that you're talking about culture and people. Yeah, totally. And I think the extreme of that you know, focusing on the campaign, focusing on the technology is what I call marketing for the sake of marketing, which is Mm -hmm. probably my biggest pet peeve. It's, you know, the headlines and the awards and the things that other marketers think are cool, but the consumer doesn't give a, you know, doesn't care about. And um, for me, you know, I've been in marketing for a while, but part of why I left the advertising agency world is I started rubbing shoulders with these chief creative directors and these CMOs who just loved talking about ads. Mm. And for me, it's, the marketing is a means to an end. You do marketing to drive the growth of the business. That's what I'm interested in. How do you make a business grow faster? And so I want to try to make sure that we are not doing marketing for the sake of marketing. We're doing marketing for the sake of the customer, which Mm -hmm. then helps to drive the growth of the business. And to be honest... You know, p- part of the the name rival and innovation and challenger marketing for me is about bringing startup and entrepreneurial marketing mindsets and models mm-hmm. into established businesses. But a lot of that really just means getting back to basics because yeah. the fundamental principles of marketing haven't changed because humans haven't changed. True. How those things need to be, you know, brought to life has changed yeah. because the culture yeah. and, uh, you know, community and the places that we spend time, that's mm-hmm. changing. Mm-hmm. But the fundamental principles of what good marketing is haven't really yeah. changed. So a lot of it is getting back to basics. Yeah, I love that. I love that phrase, marketing for the sake of the customer. And I think uh, marketing for the sake of marketing, I think, is what you threw in the Rockstar CMO swim pool last time we chatted. So hopefully in my head for a uh, while. We've, we've, kind of got, yeah. we've kind of got rid of that. And I'd love to talk to you about your 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 framework at some point as well, because I bet that's fascinating too. Um, but from the starting the business side of things, you've been in involved in many startups before what inspired you to actually do this for yourself and actually go go and build this thing to be honest it's um it it wasn't like i had a big plan for years of i'm mm-hmm. going to start a consultancy mm-hmm. um like i said before i think i have entrepreneurial tendencies but if you play out my career a hundred different ways many of those if not most of those scenarios don't involve me starting my own business mm-hmm. so what happens like most things is you know, circumstance and serendipity. And I was looking at, you know, what's next after 11FS. And I had a couple conversations with people who said, Hey, you should think about doing this or, Hey, I've got, you know, some work that I think you could help with. And I decided to give it a go. Um, Again, I mentioned my wife came up with the name rival. She also is the one who helped kind of, of course, give me the support to be able to go do this, but also convince me that, I hope I have it in me to build a successful company. And she likes to say I'm the last person to realize I'd start my own business. (laughs) I think it's fantastic because, um, you know, the reason why I wanted to probe into that is is many of us marketers, especially, um, you know, when when you've got a bit of career behind you, you you want to try this, create an agency or consultancy. So I was interested in in pulling at that. And um, 
I don't, you know, I, and many people I speak, well, not many, quite a few people I've spoken to have accidentally fallen into it. Like you said, yeah. somebody's pulled them in and said, I'd like your advice. And then, and then you're like, oh, well, I better create a company so yeah. I can provide that. And then it snowballs from there. Yeah. And I, and I also, just to touch on that real quick, Ian, because it's very top of mind for me right now. Yeah. And I just posted something on LinkedIn about this this week. And I think it's so important. Starting a business is incredibly hard. And I made it harder on myself because I was very intentional from the beginning that I want to build a brand. I want to build yeah. a company. This is not just me doing consulting. It's yeah. actually, you can't even find anything about me on the website. That's how extreme I went with making sure it was about the brand rival mm-hmm. and not me as an individual. Mm-hmm. And that of course makes it harder uh, yeah. than just going out there and starting to do independent consulting. But starting something, taking that leap, it's yeah. incredibly stressful. It's incredibly tiring it's incredibly hard. That's why a lot of people yeah. don't do it. And even the yeah. people who do, who are very good, aren't successful. And yeah. I don't know what's going to happen with Rival. Mm-hmm. I feel confident with my experience and the network I have at this point that I'm going to give it a good shot. But the odds are definitely against you. And I think that doesn't get talked about enough. You know, A conversation yeah. like this could easily be, oh, it's amazing. You know, yeah. We've got this great yeah. framework and like it's going to yeah. be great. It's really, really hard. And I think it's important to talk about that, especially within the entrepreneurial community, because so many people out there, when they look on LinkedIn or they look on Instagram Mm -hmm. or they listen to podcasts, they only hear the success stories and the wins and the good news. And that is the tip of the entrepreneurial iceberg. Uh, Everything below the surface is stress and frustration and a ton of time and people who say they're going to help and then don't help for no bad intention on like it's really messy and really dirty and really difficult and i think that should get talked about more so you're so right and i've had experience of this myself you know um, and i took the more independent consultancy with some with with some um help rather than forming like a, a big consultancy company like you're, you're aiming to do. But you're absolutely so right. And the thing is, is what you then end up doing is holding yourself up to the standards of what you're reading yeah. on LinkedIn, rather than the fact that you're, you know, what you've achieved that month to bring in sufficient business that you can then support your family or whatever. That's the important stuff, or yeah. that you, your client or whatever it is that is the actual true game rather than what you're reading on LinkedIn about these people that have done these amazing things. You're thinking, I haven't done that yet. And you yeah, totally. About it. And we, you know, I think the idea of the Instagram effect is, yeah. is mainstream now, you know, people yeah. post the best, best versions of themselves on Instagram. Yeah. I don't think it's yeah. talked about enough yet on LinkedIn. Yeah. It's the same thing because it's yeah. human psychology. People want to share their good news, yeah. but it's important for people to understand that that's not what most people's life looks like. So if you're struggling, yeah. if you're finding it difficult, welcome to the club because we all are. And I think that support and that honesty is just so important for people to hear. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, but to, to get back, and then this is fascinating. I could just, yeah, sorry. I um, took, took you a little bit off track. I love it. And, (laughs) um, because, um, I think it's, uh, it's an important, very important conversation because so many of us are going to find ourselves in a situation, particularly in the workforce where you're going to need to go do this. Right. So, I think I think that's important important advice. But to get back to the business, what I was yep. what I was really interested in is because um, you're writing a lot on LinkedIn at the moment, which I think is fascinating. I, I recommend people to go look at you and follow you. You're talking about the the sort of the reason for being for your agency, and what you said was that many hyper growth and you're you're fascinated by growth is clearly coming through in what yeah. you're writing is many hyper growth businesses were startups but some of them weren't and also there were plenty of startups that didn't grow so it's not as simple as small 
and young equals fast growth, which I'm fascinated by because I've yeah. I've spent most of my career in larger organizations, not in startups. And then you conclude with that. You say you don't need to be a startup to be a challenger. Tell us a bit about that. What's what yeah. what's that work you're doing with clients? So that's the fundamental first principle red thread of Rival. Mm-hmm. When I took mm-hmm. a step back and said, okay, I think I'm going to go try to create something of my own. You know, it's really hard to differentiate as a consultancy. But for me, I went back to what I believe to be true and what I find most curious, because if your why can be something that, Mm -hmm. um, you know, eternally will drive you, then you never have to worry about it. Uh, You're always going to have that momentum to push yourself forward. So for me, it was, you know, my career has been mostly working in startups, Mm -hmm. but working for big businesses. Right, right. I joined VaynerMedia when it was 15 people and we worked with PepsiCo and Unilever and General Electric. And then 11FS is a 150-person startup and you work with HSBC and Standard Charter. And so I think I had this unique perspective on one foot in the startup world and one foot in the enterprise world. And it was just so interesting to see the difference between how a lot of startups, not all, a lot mm-hmm. of startups and a lot of enterprise businesses go to market because fundamentally, mm-hmm. you know, if growth comes from innovation, if you say, okay, it's a great brand or it's a great marketing campaign, or it's a great idea that led to this. If you boil that down, it comes down to a decision that somebody made at some mm-hmm. point. And how do people make decisions? They make decisions based on the strategy they have and the culture that they're in. Mm-hmm. So in theory, or my belief is you can really break that down into a framework that could be embedded into any organization. right? And so that's kind of the provocative idea behind Rival is actually you don't need to be a startup to be a challenger. Right. And even if you are the biggest company in the world, the best way to stay competitive is to try mm. to challenge yourself before somebody yeah. else does. Yeah. And so that's really what we're trying to do. You know, I call it startup entrepreneurial tendencies or uh, mindset and model. That's what mm-hmm. we're doing is bringing more of the startup and entrepreneurial approach into other organizations. But really what that means is just marketing that is fit for purpose for the world of today. Right. And that's what our framework tries to define. Yeah. And I've gone through, you know, a hundred iterations of that <laughs> over the last six months. Yeah. Um, but that's really what it is. I don't I I yeah. reject the notion that you have to be small or mm-hmm. have to be young to be a challenger. Yeah. Uh, and I also reject the notion that you can't move quickly and be a challenger if you're a big organization, mm-hmm. because I think it comes down to how you think and how you act. Right, right. So my my next question was going to be, um, so is this about marketers in big organizations learning from startups? But clearly, it's not as simple as that. What you're talking about is changing the culture within big organizations, marketing teams, so that they think like challenges and they think like startups. Is that is that what you're what you're working on? Yeah, yeah, that's definitely part of it. And we work yeah. with businesses of all sizes. So some of our early clients are actually startups, and we're just yeah. helping them with you know, brand strategy, go to market strategy, organizational design, all the stuff I mentioned before. But I do think, you know, the business I'm coming from 11FS, a lot of the work that we did was to build greenfield propositions Mm -hmm. within traditional incumbent banks. So kind of building startup banks within Mm -hmm. established banks. Mm -hmm. And even apart from the world of financial services, there's plenty of big organizations that have these innovation units these innovation cells that are kind of separate from the mothership from the core business and they're trying to come up with these startups internally yeah and so i think businesses are already doing this but the interesting about that interesting thing about that is it's much it's usually more focused on the product side of things what's the new business we should launch launch Mm -hmm. what's the new app we should develop and i think that you know like i said before growth comes from innovation 
yeah. from product and marketing. And those two things should be fully integrated from the very beginning. Right. So I think the idea of how do we act more like a startup if we're a big business has been mm -hmm. there for a while. But what we're trying to do is if it is a big business, bring that thinking into a big business. And if it's a startup, you know, it's really just fundamentally, like I said, marketing that's fit for purpose for the world mm -hmm. of today, the kind yeah. of basics of what we know works and yeah. trying to help clients figure out what are the blockers, what are the contingencies that they need help with to drive more growth. Right, right. So, um, it, and it's often, I mean, I, I, I've done some advisory for startups as well, and quite often it's that they've got this great idea or this great product or this great piece of technology or whatever it is. It's then trying to define for them what their go-to-market strategy should be, what the audience is for that. And are you finding that's the same for these innovation centers within organizations that they've come up with these great ideas, but they just need a bit of help, like getting, getting that out to market, understanding the category it's in and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, it totally depends on the business mm -hmm. and the stage they're at, but that yeah. does come up um, a good amount because yeah. again, going back to the basics, you yeah. need a deep understanding of your audience in order mm -hmm. to know what's the most relevant story to tell yeah. and how to tell it in the most relevant way. Yeah. Um, so that is a big piece of it and where we always start and where I think good marketing starts in general is yeah. with that understanding of the audience, but also the culture around them. Yeah, yeah, and I like that. And have you got some examples of maybe, I know that you've only just started this week and you just founded the company and you probably can't talk about uh, previous clients, but have you got examples of where this is, where you've you've done this before, where, where this has really worked, where you've changed that sort of, it brought that innovation culture into these large organizations? Yeah, so it's, it's still early with Rival, yeah. obviously. Um, so there's some work kicking off this week, but, you know, nothing that I can talk about yet. Yeah. Um, I think the best example that people will find relevant and can probably learn from is just looking at the world that I'm coming from of financial mm -hmm. services, especially mm -hmm. here in the UK, but also in the US, yeah. these challenger banks. Yeah. And they're doing something different on the product side, for sure. But they're also doing yeah. something very different on the marketing side. And I think that's really interesting and has given me a lot of inspiration for our framework and the work that we're going to mm -hmm. do. And a couple things to call out there. Um you know, when I got into the financial services world, into the fintech world in 2019, there was this conversation from the marketers and these early challenger mm -hmm. banks, the Monzos and the Revolut saying, you know, hey, we don't do marketing. And yeah. really what that meant is they don't do kind of the big above the line mm -hmm. communications and advertising. But what they did for marketing is the role of marketing was to inform the product roadmap to make the product stronger, to drive product innovation. Wow. It was connecting the customer to the product, to the business. Right. And that's actually a fundamental role of marketing. You know, of the four Ps, the first one, product, yeah. that I think a lot of big organizations kind of get away from. So yeah. I think that was really interesting. They also have done really interesting things when it comes to content and community building advocacy with early users, which is something, mm -hmm. again, that's not really in the playbook of traditional established brands as much yeah. anymore. Yeah. Um, so I think they're, you know, that, that is, uh, like I said, my experience in startups working with big brands, you know, I've got cross category experience in that, but if you look at the world of financial services, that's a very, uh, mm -hmm obvious example you see the marketing yeah. from these challenger yeah. banks and you see the marketing yeah. from the incumbents they're challenging yeah. and it's very different yeah. and i think there's something to learn from there well i tell you the experience i mean i'm for, for my business i i used a challenger bank and 
I think around the same time, a colleague, friend of mine, he he started his own business too, but he decided to use a, sta- a, re- a traditional bank for his, and it just took him ages. And he yeah. was just so frustrated with the process. Whereas these guys have got it right, where they yeah. they know what you need as a startup, and they they get you up and running really quickly, and they provide you the tools that you need. And just that, they don't provide you the everything; they just provide you the thing you yeah. need. And I think that's that's a really exciting proposition. So I think that's good inspiration. Thank you very much. Yeah. Um, Yes, so uh, I got a bit lost in our conversation there. So, um, yes, we're, we're sort of up to time. Uh, thank you very much, Eric. And when people spin the dial on the interwebs, where are they going to find you, mate? So they can find me, um, Eric Fulweiler. That's F-U-L-W-I-L-E-R on LinkedIn is the best. And then uh, we are rival on Twitter, LinkedIn, or .com. Splendid. And I will include all those links in the show notes. Thank you very much for your time. And I'm glad you're able to make it after your little bout of not being so, <laughs> feeling so well this week. So thanks very much, Eric. Oh, good. Really happy to be here. Thanks, Ian. Thank you, Eric. A refreshing, honest perspective. And I love that phrase. We market for customers and not other marketers. And I look forward to following his journey. I will, of course, include all the links to him and his agency in the show notes. Right. It's Friday evening. Time for a cocktail with my friend and content marketing guru and chief troublemaker at the content advisory, Robert Rose, in the Rockstar CMO virtual bar. Good evening, Robert. What are you drinking? Oh, hello, my friend. It's nice to see you here in the bar, and it's been one of those weeks. I think we need a good stiff drink here. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know I'm about in. your week, but my my week was a little nutty, and so yeah. I'm actually I'm actually looking forward to sort of stepping away from the keyboard and the yeah. screen for a little bit. But 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 we have a lovely lovely cocktail tonight, um, and it you know it continues to be fall like and and i don't know you know are, are you witnessing this in the in in the uk where you walk into a grocery store now and they've already got the christmas <laughs> decorations up which just is infuriating and i walked into a i walked into a grocery store here in southern california uh-huh. and i'm not joking that we walked in on october 30th mm-hmm. and they had a pumpkin uh-huh. A Thanksgiving turkey, a U.S. Thanksgiving turkey, yeah. for the obvious reason, and yeah. the Christmas trees. So all three holidays were. Oh like, wow! It was like this. It, it was like literally a, a a holiday decoration store came in and vomited in the, in the, <laughs> in the grocery store because it was just everything orange and black and you know turkeys everywhere and then green and red you know and it was just it was it was disturbing to say this, to those so so you guys are now celebrating what would that be like like there's a turducken isn't is now a hello hello giving miss yeah hello giving miss or yeah i mean yeah something like that yes yeah happy hello giving miss yeah christ christ giving ween or something yeah yeah. yeah, I think that might be why you guys just say the holidays. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, that's, yeah, that is true. Yes, that is true. In yeah, any no, event, we... we have a lovely, wonderful cocktail. Uh, Splendid. This week, um, yes, with um, with coffee because it's been mm-hmm. you know it's it's that kind of week. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And you're drinking so, earlier than me, so uh, you need to stiff well, that yourself is true. up for the day. <laughs> that is true. And you you can do decaf if you choose to do this, but I am a big fan of an espresso martini. I really, really love them. Oh. Um, and that's what we have tonight. We have a beautiful um, espresso. Mm-hmm. Um, just all you need is one shot of a good espresso. It's better if you have a little coffee liqueur to go with this. And, of course, we're using vodka here mm-hmm. as our as our staple um and it's just really really fan- it's so simple to make you know now yeah. you can put sugar or a simple syrup in here if you like but i think that makes it way yeah. too sweet i just love the idea of an espresso a little coffee liqueur for the sweetness mm-hmm. and then the vodka in there to make your uh, to make your um wonderful espresso martini so it's very yeah. simple very simple ingredients which i'm sure you have <laughs> at hand <laughs> Well, uh, I'm, I miss it because you shake it, don't you, as well? And that's why it comes up and then it kind of settles. And I'm terrible with um, espresso martinis because I forget that they're, you know, martinis. <laughs> you can yes. sort of have a well, couple of them that. after yes. dinner. You and must remember like... that they do indeed have alcohol in them. <laughs> they're a fabulous drink. Well, let me have a look at my, uh, my, my, my desktop bar. Uh, I've got a little bit of cold tea. That's <laughs> not going to work. I have, um, I don't have vodka, I'm afraid, uh, and I know that's a simple ingredient. But I have the the most English of vodkas, um, and I've changed. And actually, well, there's quite a difference on the on the desktop bar this week because I have Bombay Bombay Sapphire Gin. It has wow. less for satisfying. I'm, I'm I'm very glad to see that you've upgraded. That's that is. <laughs> That is I, that I am. I'm, at least you have upgraded the gin. That is that is good news. I have indeed, and unfortunately, oh, hang on a minute, I forgot to put ice in that. You don't put ice in an espresso martini, do you? But uh, um, there's and, usually no ice in a martini. But I'm gonna because you're <laughs> improvising and because you're English, I'm going to I'm going to let that go. Right, and I'm not going to put any tea in this because that would be wrong. I'm actually going to put. Um... <laughs> that would be that would be wrong. You are correct, sir. That that would be wrong. I don't think there's any such thing as an English tea martini. <laughs> no, there is not. English not that I'm aware of, anyway. English breakfast martini. No, I'm going to go with uh, my uh, my stat. The the only other bottle that I have on my desktop bar, which is the Fever Tree Cucumber Tonic. They really, I really ought to talk to them about that sponsorship. Um, and then let's All right, so this is going to be a fine and strong after-dinner drink that we can sample. Mmm. Oh, I could eat one. Of, I could just drink one of them after dinner, that's for sure. And in fact, I could, go. I could drink oh. one of these every week. So what are we calling that then, Robert? We're calling that an espresso martini. <laughs> yeah, it's a very complex name. Yeah, it's, mm. it's, it's a little on the nose, but there you go. Well, it's absolutely delicious, and I shall... Uh, I shall try not to gulp this down while we're talking, because you know what it's like. I lose track of the conversation otherwise. So that's fabulous. Now, an espresso martini, I can imagine a number of locations from espresso martini. Where are you taking the virtual Rockstar CIO bar to this week? Well, I think what we have to do is we have to get to the place where coffee is the best. Mm-hmm. And it's a great time of year to visit this place, which is, of course, San Francisco. Um, which we haven't been to in, in some time, but you can get, you know, that's where you're going to get your great coffee. Um, and we can also, what I, what I thought we would do mm-hmm. is head to the North part of the city where, uh, there is a number of Italian restaurants. Oh, um, nice. 
And there is one of my favorite restaurants in the entire world um, there. Mm-hmm. And it's an Italian restaurant um, that it, it actually, the first time I went there, uh, my, it, so one of our colleagues that you know, uh, his name is Jim Howard, um, and was used to be my old boss. Yeah. Um, and he, uh, he took me to this restaurant because uh, he knew it in San Francisco and got me so buzzed on <laughs> red wine that the waiter came over at one point and, and, and they do the thing in, in, as in many uh, of the restaurants there in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. And he said, would you like a subscription to the wine? And I, I being as buzzed as I was and as happy as I was, I said, of course I would. And signed up for a quarterly subscription to a, you know, four bottles of wine. So uh-huh. I would receive, and it was amazing wine, by the way. It's mm-hmm. unbelievable. Local, you know, a local vintner. Yeah. Um, and to this day, I will tell you, 18, is it 18? No, it's not quite 18. It's, let's call it 15 years later. Uh-huh. I still have that same subscription. I was going to say, because uh, I was going to say that as a joke, that you still got it now, but you still do. That's amazing. I still do. I absolutely do. Okay. And I've had it for, and I've had it for as many years and am one wow. of their most loyal customers. And they've noted as such, because I've been a yeah. subscriber for so long, but yeah. it happened at that restaurant. And that's the restaurant we should go to in San Francisco oh, and enjoy man. a great espresso martini. And I, and I, it, for me today was, uh, was wine delivery day because I have a wine subscription as well. So, so, uh, I can't imagine what would happen if a waiter came over to me and said, would you like a subscription to this wine? Oh yes, absolutely. That's, that's a wonderful story. And, um, yes. Uh, and God will make, can you imagine the uh, ROI on that conversation and the, uh, they should have slipped you a free glass at least. Oh, yes. Well, they've been lovely to me for 10 years. They've been fantastic. Um, you know, they've shipped, they've, they've shipped me free bottles. They've, they're, they're an unbelievably great company. Mm. Should we mention them? Uh, no, I'll, I'll, I'll not just because one, I don't want to, uh, I don't, I don't want to not become their best and most favorite customer. Um, Mm. but to just you know, just to avoid the conflict of interest. Yeah, true, true. Because we we're still trying to get some gin and tonic uh, <laughs> sponsorship. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I still maintain that that well now Bombay Sapphire should yeah. you know yeah. absolutely sponsor the show. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, who right. knew you could make an espresso martini with Bombay Sapphire? Right. Well, I mean, now now I've tried it. I mean, I'm a pioneer, right? So uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Stick that on your billboards, mate. (laughs) So we're, uh, ah, man, I love this idea because I know that you, I know that you have a very good taste in in Italian wine too. So I can imagine we'd have drunk very well before the espresso martinis even came out. Well, that was all thanks to Jim Howard. I mean, he, he, he has impeccable taste in wine and, and, and selected it. I just was drunk enough to say yes to somebody (laughs) who said, would you like more, please? (laughs) So, um, so I, hopefully we've stayed fairly lucid and we, we, the conversation turns to us putting the world of marketing to right. Um, what would be the conversation this week? Well, I think we want to talk a little bit about measurement, um, you know, it, while we still can, um, you know, while we're still sober enough to do so. The, I, you know, there was an interesting thing that I'm finding now with, um, with marketing organizations, and it's this interesting disconnect 
between the practitioners that create measurement, marketing measurement programs, and the leaders who establish the goals that they should theoretically support. Mm-hmm. And what I've been calling it is the nobody decides uh, problem. Mm-hmm. And, be- and because what I found myself saying to a client this last month was, you know, so we, we started setting these measurement plans, right, for this company. And mm-hmm. marketing measurement, classic marketing measurement. How are we going to measure success against what it is we're, we're doing? And so I said, great. The first place I like to start is with clear objectives. Let's, let's start with those. Yeah. And so we started setting some objectives, but then it quickly became clear, like, you know, somebody said, well, is that the right one, right? Is that the right mm-hmm. objective? And I said, is it? And they said, I don't know. And then they looked around at each other and they went, is it? And they went, I don't know. You know, it, not only is the, was the, you know, is the objective the right one, but the number in the objective the right one. You know, it's like somebody says, well, we should increase sales by 12%. And somebody goes, well, is that right? Yeah. And somebody else goes, I, I don't know. And so at, at some point, as what I said out loud, I said, well, somebody has to decide, <laughs> you know, yeah. and, and so yeah. where do you go for that? And interestingly, they had been down this road and you go to the senior leadership. And what I find here so often is that you go to senior leadership and they typically what senior leadership does is they say something like, well, we're going to set a huge you know, our 2025 goal, it's always a round number, right? It's the 2020 goal or the 2025 goal or the 2030 goal or whatever it is, you know, and here's our company and they have an all hands meeting and there's a wonderful, beautiful PowerPoint, some press release or an analyst calls are had and all that stuff. And, you know, we're going to get to X billion of dollars in the next five years. That's our vision, you know, our 2025 plan. And then you go, great. So you think the obvious answer about who should decide would to validate these shorter term objectives would be the senior leadership team. But of course they can't either. Uh-huh. They're, they're basically turning back to the marketing team and going, I don't know, is it, is that big enough? Is that, is that good? Is that the right one? And what they mean is the same thing that the marketing team means, which is we don't know. <laughs> we, mm. we have no idea, but of course somebody has to decide. And so what I'm finding is, is that, we end up getting into this, you know, challenge and, you know, a lot of, a lot of businesses these days call it culture. Uh, I, I think it's just, it's just a problem of, of, of quite frankly, where we are in business strategy these days, which is we either make sort of, we go to two extremes, right? One is you go, well, we're agile. And so we'll, you know, we to make this decision and make that decision. So we just sort of gut instinct the decision to say, Here's the, you know, here's the goal and we'll yeah. iterate around it if it's the wrong one, right? And and that usually ends up in sort of confusion and chaos because everybody goes, well, I didn't sign up for that. Well, yeah. you know, I signed up for it, but I didn't agree with it, you know, that kind of thing. And then the other extreme is, and this is where the company I was talking to ended up, they felt so paralyzed by their inability to make a decision. They just sort of said, well, we'll just set this one for now, but we'll still look at it and we'll monitor it and stuff like that, which means you never know if you got to the goal line, right? You never know if you failed or succeeded because it was always moving. Yeah. And, and then usually there's this problem of falling right down the middle, right? You know, so it's like, you know, for some of them we'll make decisions and for some of the others ones we'll do, you know, We'll, we'll, we'll try and, you know, analyze this to death. And basically, 
Instead, this is the one thing I found to be a little helpful here, and it's not a panacea for sure, because this is a this is a really thorny problem that that I see businesses having these days. Is to instead of asking what's the right goal, we can start with the a question that I find that is a little better, which is what do we really want to know? Right. Because if we start with that, with the, with what do we really want to know, which is in many cases, is this goal the right one? We yeah. can at least change and share and get a shared understanding of what it is we're trying to achieve, why we're trying to achieve it, which is we really want to know if this is the right short-term objective. Yeah. And we can start plotting things out and looking at things and reformulating that challenge because it's now not a bet against some uncertain future. Now it's sort of designing better questions to give us insights so that we might ask and understand the questions better. So. Right. Just a little bit of a, a turn of, of 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 process, I guess, to get to a better answer. Yeah, right. And the um, and we as marketers are, are, are under pressure to well, not under pressure. The wrong thing to say is that we should be aligning ourselves with these corporate goals. But then when you try and push at them and they're squidgy, that's a, that's a problem, isn't it? Is like because you want to deliver, you want to speak to the C suite, you want to talk to their to their goals you want to demonstrate how marketing going to contribute to that but if they can't tell you what the goals are then how do, how do you how do you cope with that it's it's really tough yeah i mean yeah. you know what you know the, here's the i mean because the thing is in so many instances those big old you know those BHAG goals mm-hmm. are made on the back of an envelope right nobody's actually yeah. done the work to say how achievable and how realistic yeah. is this it's like yeah no, that just looks like a hockey stick, and 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 so that feels right, right? You know, so yeah. you know, three billion. Why? I don't know, because it's a round number, right? And so, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you start, and then you start doing what a lot of really smart marketers do, which is to reverse engineer that number and say, okay, yeah. let's backcast our way into this and say, if we were to reach three billion dollars, what does that mean in terms of? Um, you know, revenue by quarter, leads yeah. by quarter, opportunities yeah. by quarter, you know, and, you know, budget yeah. and, you know, and basically just reverse engineering all the way back to today. And yeah. what you end up finding is, is that we're already years behind. You know? <laughs> it's like we, we don't have enough time to get there in a yeah. realistic way unless you're to, you know, raise the budget by 2x or 3x and of course you go back to senior leadership and you go hey we need to raise the budget by 3x to get to this BHAG that you talked about and they go (laughs) no no that's not (laughs) happening I always talk about budget like um when when I when I'm talking to a client or 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 um, somebody's going to hire me is is you know it's about expectation you're going to get from that budget isn't it it's not about well, you the, the two things, the goal and the budget need to be linked. So if you're going to have a small budget, then your expectation for what can be achieved with that budget needs to be equally in. in well, in exactly. That. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also, I mean, but also I've consulted with, with clients that have said um, we need more leads and we need this number of leads. And, this, and, and then when you look at what their revenue um, actual goals are, they don't actually need that many more leads. They just need a better visibility of what's going on. And they need to have just the right sort of leads coming through. So I think sometimes, and it's probably very rarely, it can be the opposite, can't it? Where somebody's just thinking, I need more, more, more marketing. Whereas when you look at their goals from a revenue perspective, actually what you need is just a bit more focus. Well, that's such a great point. I mean, that is really such a great point, which is, you know, it it is in many ways designing a measurement program 
mm-hmm. is as much around making sure that you know our colleagues and you know sort of the adjacent teams that will be working on their own goals are complementary to one another, right? Yeah. I mean, how many times have we seen where you know, I, I mean, I literally had a, a, a VP sales to, me, to tell me one time, you know, it's like, oh, well, sales is measured on, you know, the number of opportunities they create and marketing is cr- measured by the number of leads that they create. And you'd think those two things are aligned, but they're not. Uh, they're not at all, right? I mean, you know, measuring marketing by the number of, of, of marketing leads created is, is, is saying basically, great, doesn't matter how good they are just Not. pour more leads on the organization and then measuring sales by the opportunities basically teaches sales to say, I'm only going to close the ones that are work. The ones that I know are going to turn into opportunities because that's how yeah. I'm measured. And so you, yeah. you think those two things are aligned, but they're, they're really not. And so designing a program where the measurement of the teams or the functions mm-hmm. in the business are complementary to one another is really the, mm-hmm. one of the most useful aspects of actually designing a measurement program regardless of what number you come up with yeah yeah i love that and and that's been discussed on this show before about the, the sort of bullshit that is mqls um you know <laughs> well, like, yes and yes not gonna be on a rant around that yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah it's, and it's often marketing uh, marking their own homework there isn't it as well which doesn't help <laughs> anyway so that was that was fantastic i love this drink and uh, love this location you've chosen and uh, a great conversation as usual robert and if people were to want to read about these kinds of ideas where might they find that Oh, I think probably any book in a marketing library shelf will probably have <laughs> most of this. Oh, you mean where they find my ideas? I got gotcha. you. I understand. Um, you can find me on my little uh, ho- hovel on the internet at contentadvisory.net. That's fantastic. And when they spin the dial on the interwebs and they want to find you, Robert? They can find me on uh, all the social networks uh, that are of import, um, but um, but primarily LinkedIn and Twitter are where I spend most of my time, and I'm easy to find there. Splendid. Well, I shall also include all your links in the show notes. Thank you very much, Robert. And will I see you next week in the bar? I believe you will, yeah. Ah, oh, splendid. Well, I'll see you then. Cheers, mate. Thank you, Robert. A challenge with measurement, there you go, is to agree on the goals. So that's a wrap on episode 87 of the Rockstar CMO Effing Marketing Podcast. Thank you for dropping a dime into your podcasting jukebox, selecting our track, and jiving along with us. I've been your host, Ian Truscott. Thanks again to Eric and Robert for joining me and for sharing their insight. Please check out their work. I'll include all the links to them and the things we discussed in the show notes, which you can find on your favorite podcast app or at rockstarcmo.fm, where you can also find all our previous episodes. So, does the world need another effing marketing podcast? Please let me know what you think. We are Rockstar CMO on Twitter and LinkedIn, and please leave a rating or review in your favorite podcatcher, or just keep listening. I'm glad you're here. Next week, Jeff is back. I'm hoping to chat with Melissa Sargent, the CMO of Litmus, and Robert Rose will be back in the Rockstar CMO virtual bar. Until then, have a great week, and I hope you'll again join us here next week at Rockstar CMO FM.
You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.